Okay, let's continue. So we're on the fourth line on 131A, fourth line from the top. So the Gemara is continuing this topic of, it's involved topic, it's really an Erevin topic. Uh, we'll get there. But uh, when you have a mava, you have a courtyard, you have an alleyway, and the alleyway has courtyards opening up into it. So the Rav said that you're only allowed to carry in the mava, excuse me, if you had two courtyards with two houses in each courtyard opening up into the mava, then you're allowed to carry in the mava when you put in the, um, when you put in the lechi or the kora, either the standing post or the beam on the top. That's what Rav's opinion was. So the Gemara says, what's the case over here if the, if everybody uh, put the, um, if nobody made an Eruv, then why are we saying that they're allowed to carry in the middle area if something was left in the middle area, the Mavai, before Shabbos began? You shouldn't be allowed to carry there at all. So the Gemara answers, the Gemara says, safe, safe. The Gemara had an answer, sorry. The Gemara had answered yesterday that um, the case, perhaps it's talking about a case where everybody had renounced their ownership rights and given it up to one individual person. And therefore, everybody's allowed to carry in the Mavai because then it's not considered like there's many individuals of ownership of the mobile. The Gemara then asks, if the courtyard has now been transformed into a bias, so to speak, because it's a bias of one individual owner now, well, then you only have one house. You don't have Batim. You don't have many houses. Rob said you need at least two houses to be able to carry in the mobile. After the Mitzvah, the Ad, I'm sorry, the Mitzvah, the Ad, maybe what they did is like this. From the time nightfall until, until um, you know, from when Shabbos begins until midday, then it said it belongs to one person. And then from the midday until nightfall on Shabbos, then it belongs to another person. So in theory, at least, then you have two different owners of this courtyard. So that makes sense now because you could call it Batim because it belongs to two different people. The Gemara asks obvious questions. Slave, slave, at the end of the day, but in the at the end of the day, at the time period when this house belongs to one individual, it doesn't belong to the other individual. And then at the time period when it belongs to the other individual, the other individual is gone. So there is no time period in which there are two different individuals having houses in this courtyard. So why are you allowed to carry here? What is causing the courtyard to forbid the carrying in the mavoy? The houses. The Lekka. And there's no houses in here. Why? Because if the because there are no houses that are have gathered together to permit carrying in the courtyard. So the courtyard is not gonna nobody's gonna carry from the courtyard into the mobile because you can't even carry in the courtyard. Well if you can't even carry in the courtyard, then it's not a concern and you're even allowed to carry in the mobile as long as slowly within the mobile. And if you remember, we were just coming to answer the question of if something was found in the mobile before Shabbos, are you allowed to carry within the mobile, you know, on Shabbos? That was really the question that we're dealing with. When preparations for doing a mitzvah on Shabbos, even though you did not do them before Shabbos, you're still allowed to even do the preparation for the mitzvah on Shabbos. It will push off Shabbos, right? As we said in the Mishnah, that means to say that if you end up doing, um, if you end up needing to make a fire, cutting wood to make a fire so you can heat up the coals so that you can make a, a, the knife to cut the bris milah, that he says you're allowed to do that on Shabbos. However, that's not true about all preparations for mitzvahs. It's only true for certain preparations. What is it not true? How do we know? 
the mitzvah of the shtei alechem. What's the shtei alechem? It's the two loaves of bread made from a special, very fine flour, fine wheat flour, that you bring on Shavuos. It's an obligation to do it on Shavuos itself. And Rebbe Leazar said you're only permitted to cook, to bake it on Shavuos. He derived it from Xavier Shava, right? So what we're saying is like this. If Rebbe Leazar held that there's an ongoing principle, and that ongoing principle is that any preparations for a mitzvah that are necessary to be done on Shabbos, you are permitted to do it on Shabbos. You would not need a special Xavier Shava to teach you that you're allowed to, you're allowed to bake the Shtei Alechem on Shabbos. Of course you're allowed to bake the Shtei Alechem on Shabbos. It's a regular Machshire mitzvah. The regular case of appearing for a mitzvah that you're allowed to do on Shabbos. The Tanya of Eliezer, Eimer Eliezer says, Minayin, the Machshire, Shtei Alechem, Shadechem, Shabbos. How do you know that the preparations of the two loaves of Shavuot are going to push off Shabbos? Nemra Haba Abba Eimer. It says to bring in by the Eimer offering. What's the Eimer offering? It's the offering of a Omer worth of barley that you bring on Pesach. The Nemra Haba Abba Shtei Alechem. It also says to bring in on the Shtei Alechem. Just like the Havah that we say about the Aymer, the preparations of the Aymer also push off the Shabbos. So to the bringing in that we said by the two loaves, also the preparation of anything related to those two loaves will push off the Shabbos. So what the Gemara is saying is he didn't know this from his general principle. He needed a specific, what we call, Shava, where there was a word that was the same word is placed in two different contexts. And the tradition teaches us that that's coming to tell us that the law is similar. The same way that the law by the Omer is the preparation override Shabbos, so too the law by the Shtei the two loaves is the preparation push off Shabbos. But he does not know that just because the general principle. So we see from here that this general principle is not across the board. It's limited. Mufti. So the Gemara says, um, Mufti, it must be that the Gzeir Shava of that these words, basically, here's the concept. Concept is like this. There's, Xerah Shava means when you have an additional word in two different places, and each word is extra. So then we have a tradition that you're allowed to take this Xerah Shava and you can compare them and learn from one case to the other. If they're extra in both places, there's no question that could be asked on the Xerah Shava. If they are not extra words, and they happen to be words that are the same words in both places. And tradition teaches us that they're the same words that teach us the halacha. If they're not both completely superfluous words, then you have something called, you have the ability to ask a question on the Gzeir Okay? The Gemara says it must be that these two words are extra. Why? Eloi Mufni, because if they were not extra. One could have asked the question. Mala Eimer. You can't bring me a proof from Eimer. Why? Because Eimer... By Omer, by the Omer the offering that you bring on Pesach, the halach is that if you find barley that's already cut, you still have to cut other barley. What we see from here is that the, when it comes to cutting the barley for the purposes of bringing the offering of the Omer, it has to be cut explicitly with the intent of being brought as an offering. So we see that the preparation of the Omer offering is also very significant. You cannot learn from there to Taimer Bashtay Alechem, would you be able to derive from there to a case of Shtay Alechem? Allah is that if you find wheat that's already cut, and you're allowed to take that wheat and use it for your Shtay Alechem. The two loaves that are brought on, on Shavuot, you don't need to actually cut the wheat with the intention of producing the Shtay Alechem. But the barley offering, you have to cut it with the intention of producing the offering. So it could be that when it comes to the barley, the preparation is more integral to the mitzvah than when it comes to the wheat. On, on Shavuot. 
So maybe it's true that by the barley, it pushes off Shabbos, even in preparation. But maybe by the wheat offering, it does not push off Shabbos, even, on, even during the time of, the, um, uh, of participation. So the Gemara says, The Gemara says, yeah, indeed, they are both considered to be extra and open for, for the drasha. Why? Merci. Come and see. It says, and you shall bring the Aymer, the, 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 this measurement of the Rashis Kasirim Alakayan, the first of your offerings to the first of your, um, the, the cuttings, the harvest to the Kayan. Um, this is, okay, but Yemaviachim Lamali, why does it then have to say again on the day that you brought it? Well, it, you're bringing it. So why do you have to tell me on the day that you brought it? Well, obviously that's what happened. It's the day that you brought it because that's the only time you could bring it. So we see from here that it was written in this fashion, Hava, to bring in, to be extra words so that we have the ability to darshan from it. But still, it's going to be only open, it's only an extra word on one side, it's not an extra word on the other side. And we heard from Ebeliezer. Ebeliezer's opinion is that if you have a Gzereshava, meaning you have the same word in two different places, and the tradition teaches us that you should derive the halacha, the context of having the same word in both places, teaches us that their halachot are similar. Okay, great. But if it's not an extra word in both places, Rabbi Yezra was of the opinion, if it's only extra in one place, you can indeed derive the Gzair Shava, but you can still ask questions on the Gzair Shava, right? And then you can also answer that Gzair Shava. So then, if it's only extra on one side, then you should be able to have it as a question. And that question is a very powerful question that we know that the nature of the Omer offering is that the preparation is also integral. So unless it's extra on both sides, you're going to have a problem with the Gzair Shava. We will not be able to learn out from the Gzair Shava. Taviyu ribuyahu. So the right answer is, when it says taviyu, that you shall bring, that itself is also a riboy. It's also an additional word. And therefore, it's teaching us that, um, teaching us that indeed, you, um, you can learn out the law of the Shtei from the law of the Aymer. The Mu'tei Mai, what's Rabbi Echanan coming to exclude when he said that Rabbi Yezer holds that not all um, you know, preparation for mitzvah also override Shabbos. Even when we would say lulav, if he's coming to exclude the case of a lulav. But Tanya will learn the lulav of the echanes of Shabbos. The lulav and all of its preparations push off the Shabbos. The lulav actually holds a dust push off Shabbos, even for a lulav. That will say sukkah. Maybe it's coming to push off sukkah. But Tanya will learn the sukkah of the echanes of Shabbos. Sukkah and all of its preparation also pushes off Shabbos. The lulav of the echanes of Shabbos. The lulav of the echanes of Shabbos. The lulav of the echanes of Shabbos. The lulav of the by the way, we don't pass in this way, right? We don't pass like a We hold the preparation is not for Shabbat. The other one is matzah. Maybe it's coming to, put, to, to tell us about matzah. Maybe he holds that the preparation of matzah doesn't push on Shabbat. But Tanya, we don't turn about the matzah b'chol machshir hadechon to Shabbat. About that too, we say that the answer is of the opinion that the preparation for matzah also pushes off Shabbat. The other one is shayfer. Maybe it's coming to exclude shayfer. But Tanya, shayfer b'chol machshir hadechon to Shabbat. All these cases where you might have thought that the actual Act of the mitzvah pushes off Shabbos, but not the preparation. It's not true. All these cases, the Rebbe says they do push it off, even the preparation. The halacha is the what is necessary to teach us is the preparation of tzitzis for your talis, the preparation of mezuzah for your door. That preparation does not push off Shabbos. Tanya and Amihachi, we learned in Rebbe this as well. And everybody agrees that if you put this on your on your talus, on your cloak, you made a mezuzah for your doorway, that you're obligated in, sorry, that you're going to be liable for having done so on Shabbat. My time that, is the reason. Does that include fixing sitzes or yeah. dropping a mezuzah? 
you know, if you if it's loose and you gotta um, put it back on, or if it falls, or if your knots come out of your scissors that you can't fix it. Well, you yeah. can't that this knot on a scissors is muksa. Right, right. So, so, so Joey is correct over here. So uh, you can't do a double knot. Exactly. So you're not allowed to do that. You're not actually. So on the weekdays before you put on your sister's house, you're technically supposed to check the knots. Right, you check them. Right. On Shabbos, you're not even supposed to check them. And you yeah. use a different talus. But, you know, a bucket of talus and then have a Shabbos talus. So you're not yeah, checking yeah. Your, your Shabbos talus. That's true. You're not, you're, not supposed, you're not supposed to check it. You're just supposed to put it on. You don't, if you you don't tie it, it though. You don't, yeah. If you see that it's wrong, you don't fix it. And I remember you, because once, once my sisters were messed up and I asked uh, Rabbi Yossi what to do, just, after Shabbos, you fix it. You can't do anything right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you wear do you, you could still wear the towels even though the scissors aren't loose. So, so it's interesting. So so it depends what type of loose it is. So yeah, generally speaking, the type of loose that you're going to have, you would notice it far well before it actually became before unravels. Yeah. yeah, generally speaking, you'll notice it early enough because it's become puzzled. It's it's kind of difficult. It doesn't become puzzled that quickly. It has to be very very short and more than one place. So. Um, that being said, when it comes to mezuzah falling, sometimes mezuzah does fall on Shabbos. When mezuzah falls on Shabbos, it is muksa. You're not supposed to put it up back where it was. Absolutely not. Totally forbidden. Malacha that writes us to put it back where it was. Can you move it? Muksa. That means it is muksa, so you're not supposed to move it. That being said, if it's on a place where it's disrespectful, so if it's sitting on the floor, then you should try to pick it up in what we call tiltul manatad. Pick it up, but don't pick it up directly. Maybe you know, move a plate underneath it and then pick it up with a plate and then put it down in a, in a place where it's not going to be disrespectful. If you have a non-Jew to move it for you, that's probably better too. Okay. Okay. It says, that's very different. The mitzvah of talis, the mitzvah of mezuzah, there's no specific time period that you have to fulfill the mitzvah right this moment, right? So when, it's, when we talk about things that are able to push off Shabbos, we talk about the preparation could also push off Shabbos. That's referring to something that there's a mitzvah to do right now. Mitzvah to do bris milah on Shabbos. It's the eighth day. Mitzvah to do it today. Well, then to push it off till tomorrow because you didn't do the proper preparation, you're missing out on the mitzvah in its, in its proper time. It's very different. Amalia Abaya. Abaya says, Adarabah. Midin Kibulah Zman. Abaya says, one second. The fact that there's no specific time period that's set for the fulfillment of the mitzvah of wearing stitches, for the fulfillment of the mitzvah of having a mezuzah on your doorway, that's even worse. Then every moment you're missing out on a mitzvah. So of course you should push off Shabbos for the for the fulfillment of this mitzvah. That's what Abaya answers back. I ask him back actually. Kol shaita v'shaita zmanayu. Every moment is the time period in which you should be fulfilling this mitzvah. It's always the time period when it's to fulfill the mitzvah. Elam of Nachman of Yitzchak. We're not going to name of Yitzchak. The Itema. The Funa Breder of Yeshua. Ha'elah biyade lahashivan. The difference is like this. The reason why you're not allowed to do the preparations for mezuzah and tzitzit on Shabbos, even according to Eliezer, generally speaking, allows you to do it, is because if you do not own that garment, if you are master that garment, you give up your ownership, if you give up your right to that room that needs the mezuzah on Shabbos, then guess what? You don't, you don't have an obligation to put them up at all. Since you always have the ability to renounce your ownership and then exempt yourself from that mitzvah entirely, therefore, it does not push off Shabbos, the preparation of you um, don't use the room. What was that? You, you wouldn't use the room. If the mezuzah falls off, you wouldn't go in that room during Shabbos. You'd wait till the mezuzah falls put the mezuzah yeah. back in, up, then go into that room. So what no, if the mezuzah falls on the shoe door? 
It doesn't. Well, the shul door is not really an obligation to put up a mezuzah. The fact that we have a mezuzah on a on a shul is not based on an obligation. It's more of a. Shouldn't even have one in a shul. But you, they they very often do have mezuzah on the shul door, but it's not an obligation to put it up. They wouldn't so make much, it up. So much so much What was that? In Emin Bracha, they got a big big one. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, it's not an obligation though. It's it, it, many people. Most shuls. I, I, Actually, any star I've ever been in, I think, does have one, but it's not, it's not an obligation. But in, in terms of saying to not walk into the room, there would be no reason not to walk into the room. If the mezuzah is not there, you still are allowed to walk into the room. The only way to say that it's a room that does not require a mezuzah would be a doorway that's never opened. Like, for example, if you have, like, a, a door that you put a whole bunch of storage in front of that door and it will never be opened at all, right, because you have another entrance to that room and you don't intend to ever use that door, then maybe you don't need a mezuzah. But to say I'm not going to walk into that room for this time period, it's not going to change the obligation to have a mezuzah there. Or the bathroom. Bathroom. bathroom does not need a mezuzah because it's a, yeah. a bezoi for the bathroom. It's a bezoi, it's a humiliation degrading to the mezuzah to be in a position where people are going to go to the bathroom in front of it. Omar, Mar, Mar says, Lulav achol machshirov deichen at Shabbos. The lulav and all of its preparations will push off Shabbos. The Rebbe opinion of Rebbe Reza. Another Rebbe Reza, how has Rebbe Reza know that this is the halacha? If he learns it out from the fact that the preparation pushes off Shabbos and the two loaves on Shavuot push off Shabbos. Maybe that's very different. The, the reason why is because those are offerings that are being brought to Hashem. So if it's for the offering that's brought to Hashem, maybe that makes sense that it pushes off Shabbos and its preparation pushes off Shabbos. But maybe when it comes to Lulav, which is a mitzvah that you're doing, then maybe it doesn't push off Shabbos. Rather, the Pasuk teaches us by Yom, by Yom. It says, you should bring the lulav. It says, when it says, the day, it's coming to say, not just the day of the 15th, but the day of the 15th, even under every circumstance. What circumstance? Even when it's Shabbos. What's the, why was it necessary to say, if it's necessary to say, that you're even allowed to handle the lulav on Shabbos, it's the mystery total. But a Pasuk needs to tell us that you're allowed to carry a little on Shabbos. It's not an issue of Mukta. Mukta is not a prohibition on a Torah level. Mukta is only a prohibition on a, on a rabbinic level. So, of course, you're allowed to handle it on Shabbos. You don't need an explicit Pasuk to tell you that you're allowed to handle it on Shabbos. It's not an issue of Mukta. El Why would you handle it? But, but why would you handle it? You don't need it. You're Shabbos. Yeah, you're right. But the reason why we don't take a little on Shabbos is it's in the Rabbanan. What we're discussing right now is when the Torah told us that you're allowed to do something related to a lulav on Shabbos. Why did the Torah tell us that? On a Torah level, you're allowed to take a lulav on Shabbos. There's no, there's no prohibition of taking a lulav on Shabbos. There's, no, there's nothing wrong about it. There's no rabbinic prohibition. There's no mukta issue. There's no issue that you might come to carry. There's no issues with carrying, uh, taking a lulav on Shabbos on a Torah level. It's only on a rabbinic level. So why would the Torah... Does mean shaking the lulav? Shaking a lulav is not prohibited either. There's nothing forbidden about shaking a lulav. So the no, says, but it's just talking about shaking it. The mitzvah of the lulav is shaking it. The, the, the mitzvah of the lulav is not really shaking it. The mitzvah of the lulav is to pick it up. So shaking it, the, the nanuim that we do are, are incredibly powerful um, Kabbalistic ideas. But that's not the mitzvah. The, the mitzvah of the oh, lulav okay. is actually okay. picking it up. Yeah. So as long um, as you pick it up, you're doing the mitzvah. With the intent of that through doing that, you're fulfilling the mitzvah of the lulav, right? The custom, and we certainly all do this, is that you make the bracha and then you shake it in a different direction. And then during hollow, you shake it in a different direction. But the, technically, in terms of the actual fulfillment of the mitzvah, it's just lifting it up, you know, holding it the right direction together with the essence. So much you come to teach you when it says that there's something that you're permitted to do with the lulav on Shabbat, it's telling you that even 
the preparing of it is, for, is, is okay, even if that means pushing out Shabbos. Rabbanan, but the Chachamim would say that you're not allowed to do the preparations on Shabbos. What do they do with this word, Bayim? What do they learn that for? Homi Bayim, that's coming to teach you, Bayim, that's coming to teach you that the obligation of taking it is only during the day and not at night. According to Rebbe how does he know that the mitzvah of taking the lulav is at during the day and not at night? It says that you shall be rejoiced in front of Hashem, your God, for seven days. So rejoicing should be during the day and not at night. If the why the Chacham need that prophecy should rejoice in front of Hashem seven days? What's that necessary for, according to them? It's necessary to tell you, I might as well say that you could derive seven days from Sukkah. When it comes to in that the, the dwelling in the sukkah, when we say days, you should dwell in the sukkah, we understand that it means during the days and at night too. So maybe when it says seven days, you should rejoice in front of Hashem with your harvest and your lulav and estrig, then maybe that also means afkan yamam Maybe it also means days and even nights. That only during the day and not at night. Let the Torah say with the lulav. And then and then if we just wrote the halacha by Lolov, that you can push off the Shabbos even for its preparations, then we'd be able to derive the law of of the two loaves on Shavuot, and the Omer on Pesach from that halacha. Lolov is on a different category. Lolov, we see, needs four different species to be put together. Since it needs four different species to be put together, then perhaps the preparation is more, is more integral and it would push off Shabbos. But maybe when it comes to the Shteha Lechem and the Omer, it would not push up Shabbos. Okay, new point. Sukkah and all of its uh, preparations push up Shabbos. If he knows it from the fact that the Omer, the, pre- the, um, the preparations of which also push up Shabbos, or from the Shteha Lechem, the two lobes of the preparation of which push up Shabbos. Maybe over there, it's necessary for, for an offering to bring to Hashem. And that's why you're permitted to, to do the, even the preparations on Shabbos. Imi lulav, if you can learn that from lulav, that's not going to work either. Because by lulav, you need four extra species. You need the four species together. So we see that's a significant mitzvah. Rather, he learned it out from the seven days by lulav. Just like by lulav, it says seven days related to lulav. And it teaches you that the preparation pushes off Shabbos. So too, so too, by sukkah, seven days, since it says seven days by sukkah too, it teaches you that the seven days also, the preparation pushes off the Shabbos. So why don't we only have the Torah teach you that it pushes off, the preparation pushes off Shabbos by sukkah, and learn out all these other laws from it. Because one would be able to ask, Sukkah is in its own significant category because it's irrelevant and night the same way during the day. And therefore, it has a different, as a reason why you cannot learn out the other laws from it. Because maybe the only reason why preparation of which pushes off Shabbos is because it's such a significant mitzvah that it's depend, it, it, you do it for seven days straight, including the night. It says that the maps and all its preparation push of Shabbos, the opinion of If he knows it from the Aymer and the Shteyalachem, same question again. You can't derive from Aymer Shteyalachem because that's a mitzvah or something that's offered to Hashem. A lulav needs three other species together with it. If it's from Sukkah, that's not going to work either. Why? Because it's, it's relevant 
at night and during the day, and therefore it's more significant. Rather, he learns that from the fact it says 15th on Sukkot, and it says 15th on Pesach. So basically, it says the 15th day of Nisan is one Yom Tif, 15th day of Sukkot is another Yom Tif. The Gemara uses this drasha in more than one place. And when it says Chamisha Asher in both places, it's coming to teach you a similarity in Halacha. So the same way on Sukkot, the preparation of the Sukkot pushes off Shabbos, so too on Pesach, the preparation of the Matzah pushes off Shabbos. Um, so why don't we only talk about Matzah and then learn out everything from here? Because one could ask a question on that. Matzah is the only one of these whole list of mitzvahs that are equally applicable to women as they are to men. Women do not have a mitzvah of lulav. Women do not have a mitzvah of sukkah. Why do women have a mitzvah of matzah? So the, we actually, I think we discussed this in, in brachas. So the, the two different reasons given are either afin hayyabayisbanes, that they were also involved in the nase that we are celebrating with the matzah, the nase of, of um, either because they were involved in helping us get out of Mitzrayim, that it was through their efforts. I thought they made the matzah. Women? Yeah, I thought like, at least how I was told the story, is that the women were making bread to rise, and then the men came home saying, we need to go. So then the women took the matzah out of the oven or whatever they cooked it in. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily um, a proof that therefore they're obligated in matzah. So the, the, the two reasons that I've heard related to because they were involved in the nace are either because the nace saved them too, because their lives were also threatened, or because it was due to their emuna, to their steadfast faith that Hashem was going to take them out of Mitzrayim, that we actually got redeemed. Right? That's what we say. In the merit of the righteous woman, we got redeemed from Egypt, right? So either one of those two reasons that are two different ways to explain that they were involved in the miracle, therefore they celebrated too. The other way that we say it is not because they were involved in the nation celebrated, but rather they're obligated in the negative commandments that are associated with that the Yomtif, and perhaps they're also obligated in the positive commandments. They're obligated not to eat chametz, therefore they're also obligated to eat matzah. But either way, since it's a mitzvah that is relevant to men and women, it's a more significant mitzvah, you would not be able to use this as a source for every other mitzvah that the preparation of which is Peshach Shabbos, the same way matzah preparation is Peshach Shabbos. Isn't this the only time-related mitzvah that women are obligated to? No, no, there, there are other ones. Oh, one of the only? Uh, yes, it was one of them. There's a list. There's a list, but yeah. There's very really few, though. Read yesterday's Rambam, Joey. You'll see him. What was that? Yesterday's Rambam. Oh, really? That's what he says? It gives you all the list of all the, the positive and negative um, commandments. There you go. Okay. Shafer and all of its, uh, you know, preparations. You guys can probably say this by heart already, no? Wayne, put you on the spot here. I said you could probably say this by heart already. The same, the same, uh, the same thing every time. Yeah. <laughs> if we say from the Eimer Shteyalechem, that's not a good source because they're things that are necessary for the sake of Hashem. If it's lolav, then that's something that has four mitzvahs together with, four species together with it. If it's from sukkah, that's, that's relevant at night and, as, and during the day. Matzah is relevant to women the same way it's relevant to men. 
Rather, Pasuk tells us that it is a day of blowing for you. And it says, Yom is telling you even on Shabbos. What's it coming to teach you? It's coming to teach you that even the blowing of it can be done on Shabbos. It says that all work of, uh, all you know, labor of, that are aboda, you cannot do. And the taking of the bread off of the walls of the oven, they're not forbidden to do on Shabbos on a Torah level because it's not a malacha, it's not an actual um, forbidden constructive act. It's rather in the category of wisdom, but not actually forbidden. So therefore, you can't tell me that when it said you're allowed to do something with a shofar on, on uh, Rosh Hashanah, we're referring to the blowing of the shofar. Of course, why would you not be permitted to blow the shofar even if it's Rosh Hashanah on Shabbos? So rather, what's come to teach you is that the preparation of the shofar is also permitted to do on Rosh Hashanah the Shabbos. Rabbi, I don't know. Like cut, the, cut the horn off the animal. Yeah, not the cutting, but they, but they don't just cut it. They also have to prepare it. They have to, you know, to hollow it out a little bit more. There's things that they have to do. So yeah, the cutting. Yeah, I, I made it. Oh, cool. cool. Well, we, don't, we don't blow the shofar on the Yeah, yeah. So once again, that's on a rabbinic level that we don't blow the rest. Shofar on Rosh Hashanah. No, no, my question is, if if it is okay to blow the shofar on Shabbat, why did the rabbis? That, that, that's a great question. That, that's a great question. It's a very important question. Isn't it uh, a Rabbanon that you can't blow it on Shabbos? Yeah, yeah, but Earl's asking, how could the Rabbanon come along and take away a mitzvah daraisa and take away well, our ability to fulfill a mitzvah Is it only because you might slip when there's not an error? I mean, that, that seems crazy. Right, right. So, so, so what's, what's important to recognize is that generally speaking, what we say is like this. The rabbis have the power to be your government at Torah, the Sheva al-Tasa. They have the ability to stop us from fulfilling a positive commandment of the Torah if it's going to be stopping us in a passive way. So what they said is that we are more concerned that you'll come to carry something on Shabbos, that we're going to actually completely abolish the mitzvah blowing shofar on a year in which it is Shabbos. Right? And they're allowed to do that. That's within their power. And that, that's a big topic of why that's within their power. But that is, you know, based on a certain verse in the Torah, gives them the power to do that. Okay. Has the Belezer know that they blow it at night and blow it out during the day and not at night? It says that on the day of, of Yom Kippur, you blow a shaifer in all of your places. This is referring to not Yom Kippur every year, but Yom Kippur of the Yovel, the Jubilee. The Gamri. So why doesn't he learn the, the uh, sorry, so then you learn out that the blowing of the shofar has to be on Rosh Hashanah has to be during the day, the same as the blowing of the shofar on Yom Kippur has to be during the day on Yom Kippur. Why doesn't the Pasuk just teach us by shofar that you have to, even the preparation pushes off Shabbos, and then we don't say anything else, and we'll learn it out from shofar. It's Kiyah Shofar, the Rosh Hashanah, Lech Lemigma. You can't learn out from Kiyah Shofar, the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Why? Yisrael, very interesting idea. That through blowing Shafer on Rosh Hashanah, we bring back the memory of B'nai Yisrael to Hashem, you know, literally, to our Father in Heaven. Like, what does that mean? Why? Yeah, like when we blow the Shafer, we're reminding him? You have to wake, yeah, up, uh, wake up call? Well, yeah, I wake up call is a little, bit, a little bit strong, but you're right that it is an interesting idea that we're bringing a memory back to Hashem. Hashem doesn't forget anything. But we really mean something quite deep. But just on the very simple level, what we mean is we're reminding Hashem of the Egel. Not, sorry, not of the Egel, Reminding Hashem of Akedah Yitzchak, of the, 
the sacrifice, the binding of, of Yitzchak. Why? The binding of Yitzchak happened on Rosh Hashanah, number one. Number two, right after the binding, Avram was told to take the ram that was found in the, in the thorns and the thistles and to bring it as an offering. So when we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, we're reminding Hashem of, the, of what Abraham did with Yitzchak. Um, you can't learn out from the, you could not have been able to teach us that the fact that you blow shofar on Yom Kippur, that therefore all other things should also be, preparation should also push up the mitzvah. The Amar Marg, as Mar says, Taku Bezdin Shafer, Bezdin blows the Shafer, and Nifteru Avadim Lebatehem. So all the slaves would go home to their own houses. This is the, the evil year, and that was when they go free. The Sadeh Tchesh Lebalehen. And the fields go back to the original owners, right? That this is the, you know, the famous Pasuk that's on the Liberty Bell, right? So it says that in the cross and you shall proclaim freedom throughout the land, right? So that Pasuk, that takes effect at the time of blowing the shofar. So the blowing the shofar is an incredibly significant moment on Yom Kippur. So even if the blowing of the shofar on Yom Kippur was significant enough that the Torah would allow us to even do the preparations that are going to be pushing off Yom Kippur on Yom Kippur itself, that might be true only for that blowing of the shofar. That's such a significant act where it's changing like the trajectory of, of the humankind on that day. Maybe that's significant enough that the preparation pushes off Shabbat. So essentially what we just did is we went through all the different cases and said why every single case we needed its own source because otherwise you wouldn't be able to learn out one from the other because each individual case has something unique about it that would restrict our ability to derive other halachas from there. Okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good, guys. Take care. Be well. Bye. Bye. Bye.